Chapter twenty three of Mary Marston. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mary Marston by George MacDonald. Chapter twenty three. The Menial. Things had been going nowise really better with Mary, though there was now more lull and less storm around her. The position was becoming less and less endurable to her, and she had as yet no glimmer of a way out of it. Breath of genial air never blew in the shop, except when this and that customer entered it. But how dear the dull old chapel had grown! Not that she heard anything more to her mind, or that she paid any more attention to what was said. But the memory of her father filled the place, and when the Bible was read, or some favourite hymn sung, he seemed to her actually present. And might not love, she thought, even love to her, be strong enough to bring him from the gracious freedom of the new life back to the house of bondage, to share it for an hour with his daughter. When Hesper entered, she was disappointed to see Mary so much changed. But when, at the sight of her, the pale face brightened and a faint rosy flush overspread it from brow to chin, Mary was herself again, as Hesper had known her, and the radiance of her own presence, reflected from Mary, cast a reflex of sunshine into the February of Hesper's heart. Had Mary known how long it was since such a smile had lighted the face she so much admired, hers would have flushed with a profounder pleasure. Hesper was human after all, though her humanity was only molluscus as yet, and it is not in the power of humanity in any stage of development to hold itself indifferent to the pleasure of being loved. Also, poor as is the feeling comparatively, it is yet a reflex of love itself, the shine of the sun in a rain-pool. She walked up to Mary, holding out her hand. "'Oh, ma'am, I'm so glad to see you!' exclaimed Mary, forgetting her manners in her love. "'I, too, am glad,' drawled Hesper, genuinely, though with condescension. "'I hope you are well. I cannot say you look so. I'm pretty well, thank you, ma'am.' answered Mary, flushing afresh. Not much anxiety was anywhere expressed about her health now, except by Beanie, who mourned over the loss of her plumpness, and told her if she did not eat she would soon follow her poor father. "'Come and have a drive with me,' said Hesper, moved by a sudden impulse through some hidden motion of sympathy. She felt as she looked at her that the place was stuffy. "'It'll do you good,' she went on. "'You are too much indoors,' "'And the ceiling is low,' she added, looking up. "'It's very kind of you,' replied Mary. "'But I don't think I could quite manage it today.' She looked around as she spoke. There were not many customers, but for conscience' sake she was trying hard to give as little ground for offence as possible. "'Why not? If I were to ask Mr... "'If you really wish it, ma'am, I will venture to go for half an hour. "'There's no occasion to speak to Mr Turnbull.' "'Besides, it is almost dinner-time. "'Do, then. "'I am sure you will eat a better dinner "'for having had a little fresh air first. "'It's a lovely morning. "'We will drive to the Roman camp "'on the top of Cloverdown. "'I shall be ready in two minutes,' said Mary, "'and ran from the shop. "'As she passed along the outside of his counter coming back, "'she stopped and told Mr Turnbull where she was going. "'Instead of answering her, "'he turned himself towards Mrs Redmayne, and went through a series of bows and smiles, recognizant of favour, which she did not choose to see. She turned and walked from the shop, 
got into the brougham and made room for mary at her side but although the drive was a lovely one and the view from either window delightful and to mary it was like getting out of a tomb to leave the shop in the middle of the day she saw little of the sweet country on any side so much occupied was she with hesper ere they stopped again at the shop door two young women were nearer being friends than hesper had ever been with any one the sleepy heart in her was not yet dead but capable still of the pleasure of showing sweet condescension and gentle patronage to one who admired her and was also agreeable to herself she justified her kindness to mary with the remark that the young woman deserved encouragement whatever that might mean because she was so anxious to improve herself a duty hesper could recognize in another as they went mary told her something of her miserable relations with the turnbulls and as they returned hesper actually this time with perfect seriousness proposed that she should give up business and live with her nor was this the ridiculous thing it may at first sight appear to not a few of my readers it arose from what was almost the first movement in the direction of genuine friendship hesper had ever felt she had been familiar in her time with a good many but familiarity is not friendship and may or may not exist along with it some who would scorn the idea of a friendship with such as mary will be familiar enough with maids as selfish as themselves and part with them no part with them the next day or the next hour with never a twinge of regret of this hesper was as capable as any but friendship is its own justification and she felt no horror at the new motion of her heart at the same time she did not recognize it as friendship and had she suspected mary of regarding their possible relation in that light she would have dismissed her pride perhaps contempt nevertheless the sorely whelmed divine thing in her had uttered a feeble sigh of incipient longing after the real mary had begun to draw out the love in her while her conventional judgment justified the proposed extraordinary proceeding with the argument of the endless advantages to result from having in the house devoted to her wishes a young woman with an absolute genius for dressmaking one capable not only of originating in that foremost of arts but no doubt with a little experience of carrying out also with her own hands the ideas of her mistress no more would she have to send for the dressmaker on every smallest necessity no more must she postpone confidence in her appearance that was in herself until sepia dressed should be at leisure to look her over never yet had she found herself the best dressed in a room now there would be hope nothing however was clear in her mind as to the position she would have mary occupy she had a vague feeling that one like her ought not to be expected to undertake things befitting such women as her maid falter for between mary and falter there was she saw less room for comparison than between falter and a naked hottentot she was incapable at the same time of seeing that in the eyes of certain courtiers of a high kingdom not much known in the world of fashion but not less the judges of the beautiful there was a far greater difference between mary and herself than between herself and her maid or between her maid and the hottentot for while the said beholders could hardly have been astonished at hesper's marrying mr redmain there would had mary done such a thing have been dismay and a hanging of the head before the face of her father in heaven come and live with me miss marston said hesper but it was with a laugh and that light touch of the tongue which suggests but a flying fancy spoken for the sake of the preposterous while mary not forgetting she had heard the same thing once before 
heard it with a smile, and had no rejoinder ready, whereupon Hesper, who was in reality feeling her way, ventured a little more seriousness. "'I should never ask you to do anything you would not like,' she said. "'I don't think you could,' answered Mary. "'There are more things I should like to do for you than you would think to ask.' "'In fact,' she added, looking round with a loving smile, "'I don't know what I shouldn't like to do for you.' "'My meaning was that, as a thing, of course, "'I should never ask you to do anything menial,' explained Hesper, "'venturing a little further still, and now speaking in a tone perfectly matter-of-fact. "'I don't know what you intend by menial,' returned Mary. "'Hesper thought it not unnatural she should not be familiar with the word.' and proceeded to explain it as well as she could, that seeming ignorance may be the consequence of more knowledge she had yet to learn. Menial, don't you know, she said, is what you give servants to do. But therewith she remembered that Mary's help in certain things wherein her maid's incapacity was harrowing was one of the hopes she mainly cherished in making her proposal. That definition of menial would hardly do. I mean, I mean she resumed with a little embarrassment a rare thing with her things like uh, like cleaning one's shoes don't you know or brushing your hair mary burst out laughing let me come to you to-morrow morning she said and i will brush your hair that you will want me to come again the next day you beautiful creature whose hands would not be honoured to handle such stuff as that as she spoke, she took in her fingers a little stray drift from the masses of golden twilight that crowned one of the loveliest temples in which the Holy Ghost had not yet come to dwell. If cleaning your shoes be menial, brushing your hair must be royal, she added. Hesper's heart was touched, and if at the same time herself was flattered, the flattery was mingled with its best antidote, love. Do you really mean she said you would not mind doing such things for me of course i should not be exacting she laughed again afraid of showing herself too much in earnest before she was sure of mary you would not ask me to do anything menial said mary archly i dare not promise said hesper in tone responsive how could i help it if i saw you longing to do what i was longing to have you do she added growing more and more natural "'I would no more mind cleaning your boots than my own,' said Mary. "'But I should not like to clean my own boots,' rejoined Hesper. "'No more should I, except it had to be done. "'Even then I would much rather not,' returned Mary, "'for cleaning my own would not interest me. "'To clean yours would. "'Still I would rather not, for the time might be put to better use, "'except always it were necessary, and then of course it couldn't.' But as to anything degrading in it, I scorn the idea. I heard my father once say that, to look down on those who have to do such things may be to despise them for just the one honourable thing about them. Shall I tell you what I understand by the word menial? You know, it has come to have a disagreeable taste about it, though at first it only meant, as you say, something that fell to the duty of attendance. Do tell me, answered Hesper with careless permission, I did not find it out myself, said Mary. My father taught me. He was a wise as well as a good man, Mrs. Redmain. Oh, said Hesper, with the ordinary indifference of fashionable people to what an inferior may imagine worth telling them. He said, 
persisted Mary, notwithstanding, that it is menial to undertake anything you think beneath you for the sake of money, and still more menial, having undertaken it, not to do it as well as possible. That would make out a good deal more of the menial in the world than is commonly supposed, laughed Hesper. I wonder who would do anything for you if you didn't pay them, one way or another. I have taken my father's shoes out of Beanie's hands many a time, said Mary, and finished them myself just for the pleasure of making them shine for him. Really? drawled Hesper, and set out for the conclusion that after all, it was no such great compliment the young woman had paid her in wanting to brush her hair. Evidently, she had a taste for low things, was naturally menial, would do as much for her own father as for a lady like her. But the light in Mary's eyes checked her. Any service done without love, whatever it be, resumed Mary, is slavery, neither more nor less. It cannot be anything else. So, you see... Most slaves are made slaves by themselves, and that is what makes me doubtful whether I ought to go on serving in the shop, for as far as the Turnbulls are concerned, I have no pleasure in it. I am only helping them to make money, not doing them any good. Why do you not give it up at once, then? asked Hesper. Because I like serving the customers. They were my father's customers, and I have learned so much from having to wait on them. Well, now said Hesper, with a rush for the goal. If you will come to me, I will make you comfortable, and you shall do just as much or as little as you please. What will your maid think? suggested Mary. If I am to do what I please, she will soon find me trespassing on her domain. I never trouble myself about what my servants think, said Hesper. But it might hurt her, you know, to be paid to do a thing and then not allowed to do it. Well, she may take herself away, then. I had not thought of parting with her, but I should not be at all sorry if she went. She would be no loss to me. Why should you keep her, then? Because one is just as good and as bad as another. She knows my ways, and I prefer not to have to break in a new one. It's a bore to have to say how you like everything done. But you're speaking now as if you meant it, said Mary, waking up to the fact that Hesper's tone was one of business and she no longer seemed half playing with the proposal. Do you mean you want me to come and live with you? Indeed I do, answered Hesper emphatically. You shall have a room close to my bedroom, and there you shall do as you like all day long, and when I want you, I dare say you will come. Fast enough, said Mary cheerily, as if all was settled. In contrast with her present surroundings, the prospect was more than attractive. "'Would you let me have my piano?' she asked with sudden apprehension. "'You shall have my grand piano, always when I'm out, "'which will be every night in the season, I dare say. "'That will give you plenty of practice, "'and you'll be able to have the best of lessons. "'And think of the concerts and oratorios you'll go to.' "'As she spoke, the carriage drew up at the door of the shop, "'and Mary took her leave. "'Hesper accepted her acknowledgments in the proper style of a benefactress.' and returned her good-bye kindly, but not yet did she shake hands with her. Some of my readers may wonder that Mary should for a moment dream of giving up what they would call her independence. For was she not on her own ground in the shop of which she was a proprietor? 
and was the change proposed by whatever name it might be called anything other than service but they are outside it and mary was in it and knew how little such an independence was worth the name almost everything about the shop had altered in its aspect to her the very air she breathed in it seemed slavish nor was the change in her the whole thing was growing more and more sordid for now save for her part the one spirit ruled it entirely the work had therefore more or less grown a drudgery to her the spirit of gain was in full blast and whoever did not trim his sails to it was in danger of finding it rough weather no longer could she without offence and consequent disturbance of spirit arrange her attendance as she pleased or have the same time for reading as before she could encounter black looks but she could not well live with them and how was she to continue the servant of such ends as were now exclusively acknowledged in the place the proposal of mrs redmain stood in advantageous contrast to this treadmill work in her house she would be called only to the ministrations of love and would have plenty of time for books and music with a thousand means of growth unapproachable in testbridge all the slavery lay in the shop all the freedom in the personal service but she strove hard to suppress anxiety for she saw that of all poverty-stricken contradictions a christian with little faith is the worst the chief attraction to her however was simply hesper herself she had fallen in love with her i hardly know how otherwise to describe the current with which her being set towards her few hearts are capable of loving as she loved it was not merely that she saw in hesper a grand creature and lovely to look upon or that one so much her superior in position showed such a liking for herself she saw in her one she could help one at least who sorely needed help for she seemed to know nothing of what made life worth having one who had done and must yet be capable of doing things degrading to the humanity of womanhood without the hope of helping in the highest sense mary could not have taken up her abode in such a house as mrs redmain's no outward service of any kind even to the sick was to her service enough to choose were it laid upon her she would hasten to it for necessity is the push gentle or strong as the man is more or less obedient by which god sends him into the path he would have him take but to help to the birth of a beautiful psyche enveloped in all the gummy cerecloths of its chrysalis not yet aware even that it must get out of them and spread great wings to the sunny wind of god that was a thing for which the holiest of saints might well take a servant's place the thing for which the lord of life had done it before him to help out such a lovely sister how hesper would have drawn herself up at the word it's mine not mary's as she would be when no longer holden of death but her real self the self god meant her to be when he began making her would indeed be a thing worth having lived for between the ordinarily benevolent woman and mary marston there was about as great a difference as between the fashionable church-goer and catherine of siena she would be hesper's servant that she might gain hesper i would not have her therefore wondered at as a marvel of humility she was simply a young woman who believed that the man called jesus christ is a real person such as those represent him who profess to have known him and she therefore believed the man himself believed that when he said a thing he entirely meant it knowing it to be true believed therefore 
that she had no choice but to do as he told her. That man was the servant of all, therefore, to regard any honest service as degrading would be, she saw, to deny Christ, to call the life of creation's hero a disgrace. Nor was he the first servant. He did not of himself choose his life. The Father gave it to him to live, sent him to be a servant, because he, the Father, is the first and greatest servant of all. He gives it to one to serve as the rich can, to another as the poor must. The only disgrace, whether of the counting-house, the shop, or the family, is to think the service degrading. If it be such, why not sit down and starve rather than do it? No man has a right to disgrace himself. Starve, I say, the world will lose nothing in you, for you are its disgrace who count service degrading. You are much too grand, people, for what your maker requires of you, and does himself, and yet you do it after fashion, because you like to eat and go warm. You would take rank in the kingdom of hell, not the kingdom of heaven, but obedient love, learned by the meanest Abigail, will make of her an angel of ministration, such a one as he who came to Peter in the prison, at whose touch the fetters fell from the limbs of the apostle. What forced, overdriven, utopian stuff! A kingdom always coming and never come. I hold by what is. This sordid, ploughable earth will serve my turn. My business is what I can find in the oyster. I hear you, friend. Your answer will come whence you do not look for it. For some, their only answer will be the coming of that which they deny. And the present will be a very different thing to those who desire it and those who do not. In the meantime, if we are not yet able to serve like God from pure love, let us do it because it is his way. So shall we come to do it from pure love also. The very next morning, as she called it, that is, at four o'clock in the afternoon, Hesper again entered the shop, and to the surprise and annoyance of the master of it, was taken by Mary through the counter and into the house. What a false impression, thought the great man. Will it give of the way we live to see the master's shabby parlour in a warehouse? but he would have been more astonished and more annoyed still had the deafening masses of soft goods that filled the house permitted him to hear through them what passed between the two. Before they came down, Mary had accepted a position in Mrs. Redmain's house, if that may be called a position which was so undefined, and Hesper had promised that she would not mention the matter. For Mary judged Mr. Turnbull would be too glad to get rid of her to mind how brief the notice she gave him, and she would rather not undergo the remarks that were sure to be made in contempt of her scheme. She counted it only fair, however, to let him know that she intended giving up her place behind the counter, hinting that, as she meant to leave it when it suited her, without further warning, it would be well to look out at once for one to take her place. As to her money in the business, she scarcely thought of it, and said nothing about it, believing it as safe as in the bank. It was in the power of a dishonest man who prided himself on his honesty, the worst kind of rogue in the creation. But she had not yet learned to think of him as a dishonest man, only as a greedy one, and the money had been there ever since she had heard of money. Mr. Turnbull was so astonished by her communication that, not seeing at once how the change was likely to affect him, he held his peace, with the cunning pretense that his silence arose from anger. His first feeling was of pleasure, but the man of business must take care how he shows himself pleased. On reflection, 
he continued pleased for as they did not seem likely to succeed in securing mary in the way they had wished the next best thing certainly would be to get rid of her perhaps indeed it was the very best thing for it would be easy to get george a wife more suitable to the position of his family than a little canting dissenter and her money would be in their hands all the same while once clear of her haunting cat eyes ready to pounce upon whatever her soft-headed father had taught her was wicked he could do twice the business but while he continued pleased he continued careful not to show his satisfaction for she would then go smelling out for the cause during three whole days therefore he never spoke to her on the fourth he spoke as if nothing had ever been amiss between them and showed some interest in her further intentions but mary in the straightforward manner peculiar to herself told him she preferred not speaking of them at present whereupon the cunning man concluded that she wanted a place in another shop and was on the outlook prepared to leave the moment one should turn up she asked him one day whether he had yet found a person to take her place well time enough for that he answered you're not gone yet as you please mr turnbull said mary it was merely that i should be sorry to leave you without sufficient help in the shop and i should be sorry rejoined turnbull that miss marston should fancy herself indispensable to the business she turned her back upon from that moment the restraint he had for the last week or two laid upon himself thus broken through he never spoke to her except with such rudeness that she no longer ventured to address him even on shop business and all the people in the place george included followed the example so plainly set them she felt when at last in the month of november a letter from hesper heralded the hour of her deliverance that to take any formal leave would be but to expose herself to indignity she therefore merely told turnbull one evening as he left the shop that she would not be there in the morning and was gone from testbridge before it was opened the next day end of chapter twenty three the menial recording by maria brooke